Hello and welcome to the Deep State Consciousness Podcast. Today I'm joined by Thomas Howell, also known as Ishtar Ashaya. Thomas is an American living in Japan and a teacher of something called Ascension Meditation, which, if I read it out, is a meditative technique that utilizes praise, gratitude and love. And rather than seeking to control or discipline the mind, it charms the mind. So, Thomas, good morning and good afternoon good where you are. In <laughs> good afternoon, Richard. So, um, charming as opposed to disciplining, that sounds great to me, exactly what people will be looking for. So, I'm really keen to hear about that. But before you do, take us back to how this started for you. I know from reading a bit of your biography, you were. You recognize now that you were having spiritual experiences at a very young age. So perhaps you could tell us a bit about that. Sure, absolutely. Jeez. Uh, uh, like, like a lot of people, well, I'll just say a lot of the things sort of started in the crib. But of course, I didn't, like, like any child, I wasn't thinking of them and putting them in some sort of spiritual context. You know, they were, they were just what, what was part of life, uh, you know. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to have um, memories uh, of those really early times until probably taking a AP psychology class my last year of, of high school. Uh, but even in the crib, there was this sort of sense of, of, of silence that, that essentially permeated everything that I saw. There was a, there was a sense of dimension, dimensionality about life too, about, about awareness, which I, I, I found very interesting and I, I, I kind of played with it. It, it, it felt very much, um, the regular world often felt a little bit like um, being immersed in water. You know, when you're at the surface, there's, there's, there's more noise, but you can, you can modulate mm -hmm. and you can go down and the noise of the surface becomes, becomes less. And often in that silence, the clarity becomes more. Uh, and so there was a bit of that uh, coloring just everyday life. Uh, silence, there was a certain sort of white light that seemed to kind of permeate everything. Uh, I remember, remember learning how to say I, learning the concept of I and, and, and learning, learning the, the diff, being able to differentiate between, between objects and, and the linguistic uh, sort of play that happened there. But I don't, it didn't really set in as a sense of uh, maybe hard separation until about seven or, or eight or so when I thought I really need to sort of commit to that and, and, you know, get me one of those personalities that, that my mother's talking about and everybody else seems to be talking about. And, 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 and so I, I dove in and we might call that, you know, sort of like the David Foster Wallace article, a, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again or <laughs> something like that. It wasn't so bad, but, 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 uh, it you know, brings about young, some problems. Yeah. <laughs> it became problematic very quickly. Consequences. Indeed, indeed, and, and and by the time I really got got it going, there was so much gravity that it was just oh okay, I I cannot stop this train, and and then I just forgot about it, and and you know you know engaged in in what most children do, which is growing up and learning about the world, and and you know being very excited about it, and and being very excited about getting taller and becoming more capable and learning new intellectual tricks and and, and all of that sort of thing, and. And, so when, um, when you say in the crib, you're talking like below two years old. Yeah, yeah I wasn't. I wasn't able to to walk yet. I have a lot of memories that, you know. Of course, people should ought to be very skeptical. You know that this is something that 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 one should be skeptical about. But I have a lot of memories that happened before uh, 
first one first walking and first escaping my crib. Those were two really um, big events for me. I, right. I remember I remember learning to walk and 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 um, having my either my sister or my mother about three or four feet away, kind of on their knees with their arms open, you know, and, and here I am, you know, about to get ready to, you know, try to try to do this thing again and, you know, just falling and, and tripping. And I remember the first time that, that, I, oh my God, you know, that, that the legs were, I felt so capable. And um, the same with uh, getting out of my crib. I had tried for, I don't know, a, a really long time, a lot of unsuccessful escapes. I just didn't have the strength. The, the socks on my feet would hit the bars and just not get traction. I would, I would fall backwards and just fall asleep and, you know, sort of decide to try again the next night. And then I remember the first time that I, that I got out um, and landed on the floor and then I wasn't able to get back up in and there was really nothing interesting on the ground. So, so I, was, oh, I, I was a little bit frustrated for not thinking it, thinking it through fully. Uh, so, so those were very strong and, and, and a lot of the, the memories before were this, this, you know, this, and, and, and during with this sort of big, beautiful sort of sense of presence that was, that was everywhere. I didn't have words for it. You know, I didn't have words for many things. But, okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. for most of us, we can speculate that there must've been a time where I didn't distinguish in my sensory observations between laptop and microphone and cup. There was just, right. there wasn't an eye in here that was making that. But, yeah. So I can look now and say, well, yeah, there must've been a time prior to that construct. But for most of us, we don't really have a memory of that time. So it must be, it's fascinating for you yeah. to go on a spiritual journey with that sense of almost like a remembering yeah. of a time when you were more. There. It was very interesting. And I, I remember, I, 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 I remember sort of being able to distinguish between objects and know, know right. what the, what the stove was and even have words for objects. But, it, but it, it, neither, neither of those developments seemed to sort of really set in a, uh, a, you know, a, a deeply ingrained um, sense of being locked in, in a, in a very small perspective. There was a, there was a sense of having a lot of these um, objects, including myself, including my, my thinking processes, a lot of these objects were, were, were very much experienced from almost a, a shared uh, flowing state of awareness is, is, is you know, my, my, my father, my mother, I would, I would, I would be in this sort of uh, singular field and just in, in, kind of feel people out from the inside. So it was, it was a very interesting time of life. And, and I, I, I just didn't make anything of it because that's, that's what was happening and was born into at that time. Yeah. Okay, I best let you roll on with this biography because okay. I mean we could, do, we could be there. Or that's such a fascinating. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We could yeah. go on. Yeah. So, so please, um, yeah, carry on. You've had this sense of separation, then, and um, yeah, the unintended consequences of that, and, and life's going on. What's what's coming up it, for you next? And, yeah, it, it it built up really quickly. I I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to learn how to read. Um, I I would I I didn't want to become numerate either. I I enjoyed. I, for some reason, I was, I was stubborn against all of that. And I, I just really didn't want to go to first grade. And, and um, I, I, that was probably a good instinct, actually. Yeah. Uh, I did very well in school, um, intellectually and that sort of thing. I had very bright parents and a very bright sister and, and a really good um, school and, 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 and an aptitude, apparently, after the stubbornness against it uh, for it. But uh, I, I also, you know, uh, had a lot of uh, bullying or, you know, that sort of thing because I was a little bit weird and and really smart and, and, and pretty uninhibited in, in some ways and, and a little over the top 
in that developing personality. And, and also apparently I, you know, my, uh, I, I didn't grow up in a very, um, religious or spiritual environment. Um, if my parents are trying to have me become a, a free thinker, a good rational thinker, but there was definitely a certain amount of a hard edged atheism mm. that was, that was in there too. Uh, especially from, from my father and, and I, being a seven-year-old atheist in, in 1990, Wisconsin is, is not necessarily a, a, a good uh, thing to, if, you, if one wants to be popular with their classmates. Right. Just film is um, Wisconsin one of the more religious states? No, not, not really, but um, uh, sort of in the middle. So right. sort of in the, it's America. So America's a little bit more <laughs> yeah, religious sure. than a lot of other right. yeah, sure. So when I say one of the more yeah. religious states, I forget how just how religious some of the states are. It's, so it's not it's, Tennessee. It's not Mississippi. But it's sufficiently it's religious the, to make being a seven-year-old atheist if, in the if, 90s difficult. If you, if you tell somebody consistently that their parents are fools and that they're a fool too, and they, they should immediately drop their worldview right now, uh, <laughs> you know, that's with, without any tact. Yeah. It's, it's never, no matter where you're coming yeah. from, it's not good. So, so that, that happened and, and, uh, growing up and, and, uh, I was learning how to, you know, I wanted to be liked by people. I wanted to be, um, loved and accepted outside of my nuclear family. I wanted so much to be, to be embraced by the outer world. And that took up a lot of my attention, like so many preteens and teenagers. And by about 13, I think I was starting to get a little bit good at it, which, which in some ways was detrimental because a lot of it came through pretense and acting. And, and, you know, I, I, I remember coming home one time telling my sister who, who also didn't necessarily have the greatest time in school. I've, I've got it. You know, this is what I'm going to do. I can read everybody and I know what they instinctively want and I will project that to them and okay. I can do this to everybody and I'll have a great time. And she said, you know, that's not a good idea. You're going to end up losing yourself. And I said, no, I'll keep track of it. No problem. You know, I, I've got it. And then I, I remember um, about a year later coming back into her room as I, as I often did for counseling. And uh, because my parents had, had told me a piece of advice, just be yourself. And I had absolutely no idea what the hell that meant. Uh, you know, which one would, would have been the question. And so that, that really became a, a, a big development of those years. And, and then when I was 13, then it all kind of was torn off um, rather quickly. I, I, had a, I was in a car accident with my mother and she passed away. Uh, we were, and that was an interesting event. I had, had um, precognitive flashes in my life, usually about mundane things or about raffles that I should enter or, you know, Little, little things like that. And then one night um, after I had actually broken my arm that night playing baseball, getting hit by a pitch. And that was my, that was my big dilemma. Uh, but one night as I was about to go to bed and talking with my mother, it just flashed over me that she was going to die soon. And I had never had, I had never had that, that th sort of thought before. Uh, so I, I asked her about it and, and it, it kind of, stunned her a little bit maybe there was a little bit of juice coming through the expression and then she kind of quickly said no I'm, I'll, I'll be around for a while you know I'll be around for you to grow up and and all that sort of thing and that that pacified me and then I okay you know I, I went to bed um the next morning I I woke up like like people do in cartoons or movies where you just kind of just 
go 90 degrees and, and get up. I, I woke up gasping. And just as my mother and father were outside my bedroom door, gasping as if I had just run into my body and, and, and there were already words coming out of my mouth. I've got something I've got to tell you. You know, I've got something I've got to tell you. And then I couldn't find the message. It was as if I ran too quickly and I just left it somewhere. And I was so frustrated because I didn't know what it was. You know, and they, they called me down again. They went off on their morning walk and I got myself ready to go to school. I went to school, had a, had a day of it, came home. My mother and I went and, and dropped my sister off at her, her new place of work. Uh, we, we pulled out and boom, we were, we were hit by a, a big speeding Lincoln Town car. And neither of us saw it coming. It was just at the moment the decision was made, it was hidden behind another car that was going the speed limit that wouldn't, that, you know, that didn't hit us, uh, but just one of those situations. And, and looking over, just about to start a conversation with my mother, uh, to my left, you know, there is this, this big gray Lincoln. Um, it's close enough I could see that it was a Lincoln. Uh, just right there, right outside the door, basically. And so, uh, you know, there was nothing I could do. I, I, and, and nature kind of took over, uh, as it were. I had time to think a couple thoughts. The first one was shit, you know. Um, but, and, but instead of tensing up, there was complete relaxation that followed. Um, the second thought was a little bit more reflective. I, I thought, no, I really thought this one was going to go more than 13 years. You know, it's just this, I really thought this one had a longer, the script was longer. Um, and, and after that, the, the whole life flashing before the eye things happened. Uh, I didn't think it was possible. You know, I'd certainly read about it before and thought, well, how could that be? You know, how could that sort of experience be actual? Um, but it was, it was uh, every single perception Every, every instance in my life, it, it went backwards on me. Um, every instance of my life was experienced in full, including all of my perceptions about it, uh, including the ones I was, I was only vaguely conscious of. The whole sort of terroir of the experience was just digested. And along with that, there was this, there was almost a sense of being guided through the process um, uh, it, by, you know, I might have call it an, an omniscient, aspect of awareness, you know, that, that I had experienced um, before in my life, but, but often when I would come close to it, I would push it away <laughs> because it was usually, uh, it would often be kind of raining on my parade, you know, okay. yeah. uh, but, but here I was just absolutely, absolutely sinking, relaxed into this, this field of, I suppose, omniscience and love and forgiveness. And, and every, every time that I had lied, every time that I had been afraid every time that I had put up, you know, some kind of resistance against this, you know, sort of fundamental field of love and, and awareness, it was, it was experienced, seen for what it was, and then forgiven. And, and it was just the whole process felt like having an invisible skin just pulled off of me uh, with, with each step. And by the time that the whole life was, was over, uh, it was as if the whole life, the whole life stream was taken back in, into this fundamental basic ocean. And, and, and there with my eyes open, still looking at this car and still seeing my mother and still seeing the sky over here, seeing the whole scene, everything just seemed to be made up of this one fundamental place. The, 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 the difference between interior and exterior was just 
perceptually gone. Uh, there was a sense that everything was is is in perfect order. That that the there was even this sort of light that was seemed to be underneath everything, and and everything seemed to be made of love. I was I, I suppose I was just ready to go, and you know I've it, instead of having to die and and go to go to some kingdom of heaven, it was more more like the veils for mm-hmm. me that the, the veils that had been obscuring its presence right here and right now were just taken out and. And there I was, and then, boom, um, the car hit us, and uh, we, it was it was pretty bad. We went, we we traveled a long way. I could see the, I could see the the skid marks on the road for years afterwards, and in a sort of macabre sense, I would point out to friends, "Hey, see that right there?" <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and it was a common road that I would drive on, so it was there for me, like you know, every day. You know, this sort of remi- reminder. Yeah. Uh, and and so. Uh, I, I came to with with the sound of the the seatbelt noise going off, and um, my mother's really labored breathing, and and the the emergency staff they were having to get out their big like skill saws, their jaws of life or whatever they used, they were cutting into the car, and I heard all of that noise and tape. We were taken out of the car and you know put on a stretcher. They thought you know. Uh, getting my neck down they thought I might have some spinal injury I, I I turned out to have um uh I already had a broken arm which we were actually funnily enough heading to the same hospital uh to put a cast on it. so I ended up at the hospital anyways and, and I and I, I I I broke my middle finger so I ended up walking around for half of the summer with a cast that had my my finger up like this so that was kind of a funny thing um but but in the ambulance, there was there was still this sense of being in that space of of everything, the the people working on me, my mother, uh, everything sort of existing in that space. It was you know at first I I was also concussed, so I I couldn't remember my name. I I could only I could only tell the the EMTs that that's that's my mother over there, but I don't know what my name is. But mm-hmm. I do know that's my mother, and that, and that sort of thing. And then. She called out to me um, twice, called my name. And um, I, the second time um, she called my name, it really sort of registered. And I replied, uh, I replied twice that I'm okay, mom. I'm okay, mom. And, and with the second reply, I just felt her go. You know, um, her breathing changed from this sort of really, really intense hyperventilation trying to keep inside a really a broken body mm. to really slow, calm breaths, you know, that were just getting longer, longer as with, with each one. And in that state, uh, a lot of people speak about maybe having sometimes dual awareness when they're, when they're in that sort of yeah. um, situation. I had a kind of an experience of being down in, in my body, looking out, you know, through at the, at the EMTs asking me questions and, 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 you know, working on the both of us. But at the same time, my, my awareness felt like it was anywhere I wanted to put it, you know, floating on top of the ambulance, looking down, being inside everybody, being even connected with my mother. So when she asked the questions of me, instead of just, you know, having it feel like uh, an, an audio, audio signal has come in and now my brain's interpreting it, uh, it was as if it was happening within my awareness and I could feel, feel her. That was... I just figured that was, you know, what happens when people are concussed. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, when, she, when, she, when she registered that I was okay, I just felt her go. 
you know, I didn't put it together that she was leaving her body, but I just, it was just a sense, a real palpable sense in me that, okay, she's, she's done her work and, and she's going. And then we ended up and I found out that she passed away in the hospital. And that was really, really terrible and, and hard. And cause she was one of the closest person to me in the world. Yeah, sure. Uh, in many ways. And, and so this, you know, the, the grief played out just like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross would, 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 would even write it up and, and, and that order over the next few months, years even. But at the same time, uh, in the immediate aftermath, there was a sense of, of that, that presence that was, that was there. And, and after a little bit, I figured, okay, this, and, you know, doing a little bit of reading, this does not seem like a concussion here, <laughs> you know, unless I was, unless, and the, uh, and, or I started thinking everyone should have such a concussion, you know, and I, and, and um, there was this sense of joy and bliss. There was, there was this whole other dimension, internal dimension that, that I had been largely ignoring for the past seven years or e even longer. And did you relate it at the time to what you were experiencing as a very, very young child? That sense sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not wholly. I wasn't that clever. Um, but, but certain aspects of it were, were, were just so similar to the kind of, um, the kind of bliss. Um, I, I, when I was, as a child, I would play with that field. I would, as a sort of go into it. And then when I would go into it, there would be this, this sense of joy and bliss that would come out of it and sort of infuse my, infuse my being, infuse my body. And, and that came back and that, that I remembered that, that was, was the same thing. So that, that piqued my interest and, and, and so the must, fact. It must've changed your relationship to the grief to some degree, but also I wonder about the, the precognitive experience. Mm. Oh, I wonder if that came back to haunt you at all, that you kind of, how you felt about that afterwards. Yeah. At, after, after, so eventually after a while it did, uh, but that was after sort of the presence had subsided and I was just left with being a regular old uh, individualized self again. And then, mm -hmm. you know, anything could cause me suffering at that point. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't hold it against myself too much because I, I felt, I, I guess in some ways I, I did my due diligence in a way. And, and, I, you know, I, I cut myself a lot of slack because I figured like I'm, I'm 13 here, you know, how, how do I know this, these things just happen. And, you know, it's not something that we're, we're exactly trained to cultivate in, sure. in the society or, so I, I, I couldn't be too mad, but you know, I did, I, I would, um, after the presence subsided, which was after a few months, I would, I would wake up every morning crying. I would wake up every morning crying because I would go to bed with, with the deep hope that in the morning I would wake up and none of this had, would have happened. Mm. You know, I, I really, I really, even though rationally I, I felt this wasn't possible at, at the other, it was, it was my biggest desire that, that this, this would be over, that this was just a nightmare. And so that would be part of that. Those, those morning crying sessions was, you know, these, these things did happen. The, and, and even with some precognition, it wasn't enough to, to sort of, you know, put me in the life that I really at the time thought I, I ought to be in instead of the one that I was in without a mother. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 So, but, but that, that, it was interesting in that, in that period right after it was, it was, I, I, I usually describe it as kind of, um, having this river of grief and anger and all the, all the other things that are part of it flowing, but at the same time, 
it was as if I was in this cave behind this waterfall mm-hmm. of emotions. And, right. and I had this beautiful silence and it would, it seemed to go back forever and ever and ever. And I could go as far back into it as I wanted and it didn't go anywhere. It was there. And I couldn't get away from it. I, I would even try to see if I could go back to how I was before. And I just couldn't do it. I would start laughing. I would try to try to try to lie to somebody, you know, some subtle lie of pretense to, to, to get, to, you know, get what I wanted to please someone, but I just, I just couldn't do it at the time. And, and to me, that was wonderful. Uh, and, uh, I, I made the decision though, not to really tell anybody about it. Okay. I, I, I wanted to once, um, I want, because my father, my dear father, he was, of course, maybe perhaps even more than us kids, my sister and I, he was just, it was so hard for him, you know, the hardest thing. And, and I, I so wanted him to have, have access to some of those weird, that weird bliss joy thing that was, that was there. But I, I would, at first I sort of looked out and tried to see signs that people might be sort of having that experience, but I didn't see any. And a couple of times I even started a sentence like, Hey, are you? And then I just, never mind. No, uh, I, I kind of wanted to be, there was a sense that I wanted to be careful about sharing this dimension because I, I didn't, I, I wanted to be able to cultivate it and explore it without having to, to in any way intellectually argue over its existence or sure. its plausibility yeah. or its possibility. Yeah. I, I wanted to get to the terrain before people start talking to me about maps, because I figured if, if the maps came in now, I'd lose the terrain, you know, and that was just a, a concern of mine. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. really fascinating. I mean, just, I can, when I had early spiritual awakening experiences myself, I very much went looking for a map and I feel the map did lead me away from the terrain. And in some ways it helped me along the terrain, but there was definitely issues of it leading me away, whether that's the map itself or my interpretation of it. And I was ripe to be led away. Um, yeah. No, but I think that's, that's a very wise insight to potentially stay away from maps for a while and just stick with the terrain. Yeah, well, the, well, the primary map that I, I, I reckon I would be would have been given in a in a sort of materialist reductionist uh, milieu was that shit's not happening. Yeah. It's that's brain that's brain chemistry right there. Which which you know, and and only that you know more more gravy than a grave in it. And and so I just I just kind of wanted to you know have the time and space to really dig into the dig into it and get a taste of what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that journey look like then? post the experience and it starts to subside at some point and at some point you become actively involved in a spiritual pursuit? God, yeah. Um, the, the next year in school, I seemed to get everything that I had, I had egoically kind of wanted from before. Um, and that was interesting. And, and that, was, that was probably good. Uh, I, I got to have everything that I wanted and in some ways realized that you know, what, what I thought would be the most delicious food in the world was, was, uh, was, was sand, you know, ultimately and, and, and empty. And so I, I be, really became a seeker at that time. I, uh, summer before high school, I wanted, I wanted to get back to that space because I knew at this point that it was kind of a space and it was a thing. And, and so I, at first I started, um, I thought that, you know, maybe exposing myself to danger would, would be the thing that would get me there. I didn't have any, right. uh, I, I, I had read I had read as a child many things about Buddhism and yogis and all that sort of stuff and was fascinated, but I had never connected what I was experiencing with any of that at this at this point. There was not there there was just no connection between the two, and so How I thought, you, okay, okay, I'm, I'm just a little surprised. 
I, 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 yeah, it's weird. I, I even, I even had, uh, you know, dreams and visions as a kid of, of being in these other places and other, you know, Himalayan places when I went to sleep and, and all, and all sorts of things and, and a desire to be, you know, uh, trained in some kind of, uh, Jedi, Jedi temple meets mm. that meets, uh, meets monastery. But, uh, a par- at some place down the road, I, I started associating maybe, maybe Buddhist uh, things with, just sort of hard discipline, okay. maybe uninspired dead faces that aren't actually having a real experience. I figured maybe it just doesn't exist in the world anymore. And, and somehow it, it wasn't there. So, or, or maybe I was, I was supposed to sort of uh, do the weird, crazy experimental route that I did, uh, which maybe fits my nature of, of sort of just wanting to jump into things. And I, I started jumping out of vehicles, um, you know, uh, golf carts mainly, you know, <laughs> Driven by, uh, you know, seeing how, how fast do, can we get this up to 20, you know, okay. And, and, and right, jumping out, dangerous. Yeah, you know, or, or jumping out of, off of like 10 foot retaining walls onto the beach below. I figured, you know, it was, it was within reason. I figured, okay, this won't kill me. There's plenty of sand, but it's still going to scare me. And maybe it'll scare mm. me enough uh, to get me there. And I was lucky that I didn't break anything or, or even sprain anything. I, there was one close call with the golf, golf cart. Uh, but you know, I would I, I would jump onto wet logs to cross streams just with with reckless abandon. I I, I was just trying to get myself. I was trying to get myself there, and that and then when that was getting a little bit too dangerous and, and not working, I decided, okay, I'm just going to be. What else scares me? I, I'll just. It didn't work, presumably. You didn't. No, no, not really, not really. It was it was funny, but it, it I don't think it worked. Uh, maybe it worked a little bit, but it, not enough for me to register. Um, and then I started um, being completely honest with people and telling people the most embarrassing information I could come up with about myself to the person whom it would be the worst to tell. Uh, and that actually worked uh, very well until I started, re- until I ran out of material. <laughs> and, and, and then producing new embarrassing stuff just didn't have the same edge, you know, it just didn't do it. And, and so I kind of kept going. And then one day by accident, I was just, walking with my, my older sister um, around town and we were, she's seven years older and, and was, you know, very big in my, in my uh, upbringing. And, and then we, we walked by the local metaphysical store and I had no interest in metaphysical bookstores. I'd never been in one yet, but you know, all I saw were, were wind chimes and, and maybe incense and, and this sort of thing. And, 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 and sometimes maybe people with a certain, look coming out of it and and it just wasn't a draw for me at the time but we went in and I would go anywhere where my sister wanted to go you know within reason and she wanted to get some incense and while she she was in the front I just kind of drifted to the back of the store uh where where the book section was and I was just walking around and I picked up a book at random and was on the the meditation practices of, of yogis in Tibet and I just opened a page at random and I started reading about this this sorts of space of consciousness and awareness and and just kept reading and it just started to sound so similar to to what i had touched and and that that was it you know i i i had to i had to dig and 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 find you know what was happening here and then dots started to be connected i i spent the next two three years mainly mainly most of high school you know when i wasn't in school or when i wasn't with friends um, wasn't at home. I would, I would often be either at the metaphysical bookstore or at the public library across the street from the metaphysical bookstore, just reading through the, the new age, the philosophy sections, just 
I, I had kind of had a tacit deal with the owner that I could basically tacit deal. What does that mean? <laughs> I could basically sit and read all the books that I, that I wanted and not buy them as long as I sort of bought an amulet, you know, maybe a $20, $30 amulet every, every, you know, month and a half or so, something like that. That seemed to, that seemed to keep the peace and I wasn't, you know, breaking any books or anything, but uh, you know, that, that was a wonderful period of life of, of searching and, and, uh, I, I didn't have any meditation techniques and any practices, but I, I met wonderful, um, wonderful, I, I would say sages, you know, who mm. came into town and, and, and some and clairvoyants and psychics who, who came into my hometown and, and really just befriended me. You know, they were in their 50s, you know, and, and I, here I was 14, 15, you know, spring chicken, uh, not, you know, not a lot of background knowledge, but a lot of enthusiasm. And, and we were just... I felt that same presence in them, or at least, you know, to a certain degree felt that presence in them. And so I was just had to know, you know, had to be in their presence and find out what, what was right. going on with me. And did your sister share this journey with you at all? Was she just in the shop for the incense? No, 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 certainly wasn't. Um, but, but we, I, uh, she, we certainly shared a lot and I, I think shared a lot of experiences, but we were in different places. She was often at, this was a period in, when she was off at university for, much of the time on the East Coast, so very far away. And, and, and I, I would say that the, those events, the events of our mom dying definitely hit us in different ways. And, and, and she had a wonderful um, friend, set of friends that were, were a little bit outside of town as well. And I didn't always get in on, on, onto that circle uh, for whatever reason, I was just seven years younger. And, and so I, I think we, we definitely uh, were, were biting the same fruit, but from, very different ways and with very different sort of availability to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we, we certainly had a lot of good tarot readings in, in her room at night uh, okay. and, and, and all sorts of very interesting um, uh, psychic, psychic effects that, that, uh, that would go on between us. We were, in some ways we were like twins, but separated by seven years. So we had that, that okay. sort of, uh, yeah. Right. And yeah. so did you, what came of all this, Met, like metaphysical, uh, metaphysical research and meeting the sages, did you start to gravitate down one path more than others or pick up a practice at some point? I was searching for a practice uh, at first from some of these books. Maybe I, I didn't, I probably didn't read some of the right books. Some of them made enlightenment sound so difficult <clears throat> and, so, and so seemingly impossible that I figured if this is even possible for anybody, surely these sorts of things aren't, aren't really attainable by me that everything I've experienced at this time must be some sort of accident. Uh, and, yeah. and who knows if I'll ever be able to get back to it. I remember, and the, so, I remember that sense when we start talking about like 10,000 lifetimes over how many countless ailments. Yes, 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 exactly. I, I was, I was really sort of uh, frustrated about that. I was like, well, shit, you know, maybe I could start the next life and, and, you know, try to have as much fun as I can in this one. And, and so I, I eventually kind of was in a place where I was kind of having sort of mystical experiences, but not having a, a great deal of um, uh, fundamental, you know, shifting into something deeper than, than the individualized self. You know, I, that, that when, when a book would tell me, and then you will have no self, and that, that would just get, that would just uh, confuse the hell out of me. I'm like, okay, if enlightenment is I, I no longer exist, then who the hell is around to experience enlightenment? Like, what the hell does that mean? That this just would not fit inside my, my, my tiny brain. And um, so, I, let's see. Yeah, yeah, no, no teaching came. I was also a little bit hesitant about 
meditation, actually. I was, I was afraid to start a path because I, I, I knew that if I was the type of person that if I would commit to a path, if I would find a, a practice, I would have to go 100, 100 to 200%. You know, yeah, I, I had yeah. this sense that if I open that door, there's no going back. And so I was, I was very hesitant about, about, you know, about going down that route. I, I felt, you know, there's still a chance for me to be whatever the hell a normal person is having whatever, whatever kind of successful life that, you know, I, and, and certainly everybody else think I ought to have, you know, even with my best interest in mind, I'll, I'll just, you know, keep, keep my grades high, high enough to get into, into some kind of good university or college and, and make sure that I have all of those options open and, and, you know, have, have a remunerative career. And then, you know, if, um, uh, and, and meditate, you know, an hour a day or something like that, or, or, you know, go to these metaphysical gatherings or, or, you know, meet with whoever I can find to meet with. And that, that'll be the life, you know, that'll be good enough. And, and, and I was kind of trying to create an internal compromise between, you know, uh, because this, this motivation, this sort of, um, I put it in quotes, monk motivation, monkish sort of streak was, was just rising. And I had, I had no idea what to do with that. I had never wanted to be a monk in the sense of, you know, austerity and, and um, giving up life. And I loved life. And I, I, I would think, why the hell do I want to be a monk? What are these, what are these, what are these feelings that are coming up in me? What, what the hell? You know, I would, I started dreaming of running away from school to, to, and, and hitchhiking and getting my way to the Himalayas. You know, it's like, no, that's not a good thing to want, buddy, you know, keep it together. And, 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 and just eventually I, I, I came upon this book, which, which is kind of maybe not the greatest book in the world, uh, called the, the Lost Teachings of Atlantis and the Children of the Law of One or something. And I saw the name John Peniel on the side of it. And I thought, oh, this is like what Edgar Cayce was talking about. Maybe without thinking that this person could have read the same Edgar Cayce book and just simply use the name on the book. I, I didn't have, I, I was sometimes naive in that. I didn't think someone would perpetuate such a lie as that, yeah. you know? And so I thought, okay, who would lie that much? This must be real, you know? And so I, I read this book religiously um, because I figured this is the thing, this will be my ticket. Uh, and, and eventually I started doing all the meditations from the book. Um, and which was hard because I had no real person to person training and I, and I made all of the mistakes that, that one probably could make and, and doing meditation the wrong way. Uh, but eventually, you know, I was 17. I just had the sense that I need to do this. You know, I need to, to even prove to myself, I need to, I need to, to feel whole. I need to express this, this thing fully. So I started doing four to six hours of meditation a day from this book. So what kind of meditations does one find in a lost teachings? <laughs> oh, it seemed to be a bit of a potpourri really. Uh, you know, now uh, uh, with, with, with knowledge after the fact, more knowledge, I could say that they're, they're mixing bits of uh, Vipassana, um, Buddhist visualization techniques, you know, more Tibetan, uh, breathing practice, simple breathing practices, counting meditation, uh, this, this very strange meditation, which is some sort of maybe exotic Qigong thing called the, star exercise which involves hyperventilating um uh cold showers in the morning um waking up waking up at three in the morning or th three or four in the morning to, uh, to, to catch those those nice uh vata vibes as, right. as it were yeah um you know kind of a big mix of a whole lot of things 
and, 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 you know, supposed to be scheduled at different parts of the day. So I figured, okay, well, you know, it's, it's what I've got. I'm going to go, I'm going to try this out. And uh, there was an exercise where you sit in a darkened room and you look at a, you look at a mirror with a candle in front of it and you look at only, um, yeah, the reflection of your right eye, which is, which is like Mm -hmm. the left. And, and actually a lot of strange things happened out of that, that particular sort of thing. But, um, I, I, I did this thing religiously, you know, I, I probably, I, I had no social life, you know, I, I, I streamlined everything. I just, I was, I became a, I, I let the zealot out of the Sure, cage. there was a lot of, I was going to say dedication, you could say zealotry, for a 17-year-old yeah. to be getting up at three in the morning and even do, you know, dark room mirror gazing. It's, yeah, yeah. and it's a very, that can be a very deep process as well, like from what I hear. Yes you know, the, the mirror gazing in the dark and any mirror gazing, it, yeah. the psyche can become reflected in, in all sorts of ways. So quite a lot for the, um, for a 17 year old to go through. Well, I, I just, I had to do it. You know, there was, there was a sense that I have to do this. You know, if I don't do this, um, uh, you know, deep sense that this is it. This is the, this is, this is along the North star. I've got to follow the North star. Um, even if it's inconvenient and, and there was a, you know, it wasn't a, a should coming from some other region. It was very much in my heart. You know, I, I wanted to, to be in line with this and give it a try. And, and, and uh, I, I became a vegetarian, then I became a vegan, then I attempted to become a fruitarian. Uh, that seemed to be going well. So then I thought, well, let, let's just, let's just try to become a breatharian. <laughs> and uh, that just, this has found me getting rather thin. Yeah. You know, I would, I would, I would do these seven day fasts and, you know, I would, I would, um, I would run eight miles a day. And then when it wasn't difficult, I thought, why don't I just put a bunch of rocks in my backpack and run up the highest hill in town on no food. Well, no and, food. Your breath area and just yeah. anyone who doesn't know in, in the audience, anyone who's sane enough to avoid the whole thing is, um, living off of the chi, the prana, the, the life yeah, yeah. alone, right? No food. I think you, you have water, don't you? Do- yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, um, yeah, I was doing water. Yeah. 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 But then I tried to stop water. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I felt I I I I certainly felt a great deal of euphoria in those days. All that meditation, summer in beautiful Wisconsin. I'm, uh, you know, fasting a lot. I have a pretty clean diet when I'm actually eating. Uh, you, you know, it's, it seemed to be supporting me. The vegetarianism. I seem to be able to keep away and be healthy and and all that sort of thing. But but yeah yeah it it just uh, it was maybe one of the extreme parts of of the time period. Yeah, yeah, I lost a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have read a book once by a fellow who claimed he was permanently breatharian. He went years without food or water, just occasional cup of coffee for his enjoyment. It was a very convincing book. So I'll have to Google that and see if he's. <laughs> I thought I thought I might be getting somewhere. I, I honestly thought I might be getting somewhere at the time because I, I would feel this this interesting, um, you know, and 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 another one of those energies I felt as a child. Uh, usually when I would go to bed but would feel this sort of energy sometimes entering the, the, uh, the middle of my feet, um, the, the balls of my feet coming up my legs, uh, you know, filling up my, my body and, and, and feeling very vivified by that. And I would, you know, I would be in meditation and find myself sort of not breathing, but, but not in a bad way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt completely fine. And so I felt, okay, maybe I'm starting to tap into this, secret prana or chi but um you know if i was it, it certainly wasn't consistently enough to 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 maintain uh 
Sure, but it's a very exciting time, isn't it, when yeah. you discover yeah. the esoteric bookshop for anyone yeah. and get into all these things. And there's no, there's no reason why breatharianism should be any more or less credible than Atlantis or more or less credible than being one with the universe or astral yeah. projection. So it's not really clear um, what's credible and what's not or what's good to go into and what's not at that time. It's, it's a very exciting time of experimentation, that whole yes. thing for anyone. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So how did that progress then? What, what emerged from all this experiment? Um, going very deeply into different things. I was, I was um, well, one, uh, a lot of my older metaphysically inclined friends had, had left town. And I was really bummed about that because I so enjoyed their company. Um, and so I thought, well, I shouldn't complain. I'll just create a metaphysical society and then gather whoever's in the area to one place, and then I'll have metaphysically inclined friends. So my sister and I founded a Lake Geneva Metaphysical Society, put posters up around town, invited people. Um, uh, one of the people that we invited had, a year before, I would say, um, talked to me about this thing called ascension. And I, I thought he was referring to sort of ascended masters and the kind of the websites I would find on the internet talking about El Moria and, and people of that state. And I, sure. and I, I did, I did the, I did the 16 year old thing of, of, uh, to, to be cool, pretending to know what the hell he was talking about. And, and I, and I didn't. Um, and so uh, a year after that, a year and a half after that, when we do the metaphysical society, we invite him, we like, he, we've got to invite, we've got to invite Josiah, you know, we've got to do that. You know, he's, he's got to come to the meeting and we did. And I, I think it was him who, who, I mean, he brought a lot of things into my life, into both of our lives. He ended up being my, my sister's husband, first husband, uh, a couple years, a year maybe down the road, not, not too long down the road. Uh, but he lent me, first of all, he lent me the book Autobiography of a Yogi or gave me a copy. And for some reason, I, had never, I hadn't encountered that book yet, you know, being in the, being in the book section there. But when I, when I read it, it was like it is for a lot of people, uh, really, re re you know, revelatory. You know, it was uh, every every page. It was as if I was being smacked with 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 love. You know, reading this account of Yogananda's life, and this was this was in my senior year of high school. I would I would read any chance I I would get some downtime from homework or when I wasn't doing the meditations and just reading the book, just kind of getting exposure to this whole other strata or dimension of of spirituality was was a huge opening for me and opened up my meditations in in ways that seemed to be beyond the the techniques themselves there was this i would i would find myself kind of filled with with love for for 20 30 minutes at a time just sitting there as if my body was weightless and floating in these in these very similar spaces to what yogananda was talking about mm -hmm. and, and 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 feeling light and feeling my my the top of my head and feeling as if my awareness was bursting out the top of my head and 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 that light what actual light was just flowing in and, and and you know fountaining down upon me and that's and just reading the book from yes yes it was very strange i just just from reading the book it paired with all the meditation i suppose i'd been doing um, mm. correctly or incorrectly up to that point and uh he mentioned in the book somewhere that um if you whoever prays to Babaji, I promise you he will 
if you invoke Babaji's name, you know, he will, you know, his blessings will, will shower upon you. And I thought, that's a pretty tall order, Yogananda, but I'm going to, I'm going to take you up on this. Just, you know, just hedge my bets here. Uh, because I, I felt very much drawn to this, this figure that he was describing. And, and, and I, and I did that. And, uh, when I, when I felt I would get to the sort of, uh, maybe deepest, um, uh, part of my meditations at night, I would, I would send up, you know, my, my actual, you know, desires or prayers. Um, and, and at that time it was, you know, I'm not going to end up with these children of the law of one folks in Colorado, because it does seem that they're maybe a little bit off. Uh, and it's not for me. Um, so I need to please show me, um, where I need to go. Please help guide, guide my path. If I need to be in university and just do some meditation, that's, that's great. If I, if there's a monastery out there for me, which is what I was really searching for consciously, uh, anything that you can do synchronicitously to guide me there, that would be great. You know, that would be, that would be wonderful. And seem as soon as I started doing that, uh, you know, it, it seemed to open up something inside me, uh, you know, maybe the awareness I started to feel as if I was getting, you know, little messages of intelligence coming into the top of my head, little balls of light that would, that would come in and then just sort of have to be a little bit unpacked over, over a day or two, um, to, to see what was in there. And, and, you know, this, I felt led me to, uh, you know, actually learning this ascension practice and inviting Josiah to the, uh, inviting him to our metaphysical society, starting my metaphysical society. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Josiah yeah. was into Ascension and Josiah gave you the book by Yogananda. Yes, that's right. So that's right. Yeah. Talk about Ascension then. Is there a connection to Yogananda in these? Uh, not, I, um, no, not, not really. But I mean, I think uh, maybe only in the sense of a very broad connection that anything that seems to be um, effective and leading people back to the stillness is connected, but there's okay. no option. So just let me re ask then. Just tell me what, what is this Ascension meditation? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, uh, this Ascension meditation, uh, was for me the, the easiest meditation I'd ever done. Um, all the meditations prior to it for me had involved some kind of efforting, mm. uh, even, even in their structures, there was effort was, was a good thing or seen as a, something that's, helpful developing concentration you know there was a sense of of needing to chain the mind to a certain degree so that one could one could once the noise had subsided through force one would be able to pick up on this this other element uh which was sometimes few and far between ascension was was a big change for me in that like i suppose very much like tm and like a probably a a, a range of other meditation practices that was doing the the, the complete opposite it was allowing allowing thoughts to be there it wasn't even it, it's even simpler than just observe your thoughts or be the observer do that's work in in some sense or, or hold your thoughts in a certain way or or you know that that can be a little bit work um ascension was i was very skeptical of it at, at first and in, in fact i i continued to be i i saw that um josiah who later was named darshan i saw that he um had something when we were meditating together it was clear it was palpable that that something in his experience was was solid was that there was there was something going on so i thought okay maybe it works for him but it sounds awful you know pray, appreciation gratitude love you know what what is that you know you would you talk about that and talk about these ascension attitudes and the, even the name of the technique to my mind sounded that that doesn't sound appealing at all and mm. 
there was a lot of talk of if you do this practice, you know, you will have stress release and, 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 and for some reason, stress release just was not particularly inspiring to my, to my heart and mind as, as, a, as an outcome for, for meditative practice. Uh, I didn't put together that stress release ultimately equals enlightenment when it's all gone. Or, sure. You know, yeah, no, I think like that, that you could, you know, you perhaps were looking for something a bit more grand than. Yes. And, uh, and if, if I'm, if I'm explaining it in too, too much of a circuitous way, I, I apologize. Sometimes that's, that's how I get around to things, uh, into uh, explanations of, of practice. But yeah. So, so, um, so, so far, there's a description I have of Ascension. It sounds a bit like a Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life book. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's certainly not like that, yeah. It's, it's not like that. So how, how is it distinct then? What, what's, what oh, does good question. look like? Well, essentially, uh, it's like TM. It's, it's sort of a mantra-based technique. Uh, only you're not just using uh, Bija mantras or, or Sanskrit mantras. Uh, you, are, you are using short phrases that are in the first language or, or in your first language. Um, so English, English for us, there are Sanskrit elements which are involved uh, uh, in this process. Uh, appreciation, gratitude, and love are, are sort of weaved into these techniques, but there's no need to feel any of this sort of thing. Um, there, one's not attempting to to feel good or, or to cultivate some kind of a feeling of appreciation, okay. gratitude, love, or, or, or any feeling whatsoever, which, which was very nice. There's, there's no, there's no sort of mood creating at all. Um, and the idea, the, the, I suppose that the idea behind how these work is that, is that they're part of a class of thoughts that just seem to be naturally pleasing to the mind that have the tendency of, of moving the mind, inward as opposed to outward and horizontally and thinking about things, uh, which is kind of the understanding of, of TM is that there are certain techniques that or certain vehicles, as they call the mantras, that have the tendency of, of attracting the mind back inward towards the source. Um, that's, that's how the idea is presented. Uh, okay. So can you give an example of what a, what a mantra might be if it's a repetition of something based around a theme of love or gratitude? Is that... Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I can't really give examples. They're, they're just short sentences that are the same for every single person that, that have a, a bit of appreciation in them, have, a, have an element that is supposed to be pleasing to the, the conceptual mind, uh, and then have a focus. They're, they're kind of short little, little statements that, 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 are, that are very specific and that are, are, are rather quite unique, actually. I thought you know, I, would, I would find them in literature or, or, or elsewhere, or even in prayer prayer traditions but i haven't really at this point yet found them in, in that way which which is kind of strange but uh giving them out is only done in courses just, sure. just like okay the transcendental meditation yeah so like i suppose um i've never explored mantra meditation all that much okay yeah um so i'm, I'm more in that place of um recognizing the separation between the the observer and the observed and this kind of thing so what when i mentioned louise hay i suppose when people start talking about love and gratitude yeah 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 that's that's where my mind kind of gravitates so I ah, start, yeah i'm thinking like you're talking about the mantra then being a kind of deep enacting a process of deepening one's consciousness yeah. sounds like so yeah. that's that's the it because you expressed that you were cynical to start with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
And then your experience was that it did it take you into that kind of transcendent place that you touched upon and gone into? Well, it's times the, the, the conscious experience will be different for other people. I, I, I like to give that caveat, but for me, uh, it was zero to, to, to super duper Samadhi in less than 60 seconds. It was, it, that was what surprised me. Okay, um, I go into this class, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down in the chair. I see the teachers write these phrases on the whiteboard. I'm thinking, that's it. <laughs> you know, I was being polite. So I didn't say it out, out, out loud. Um, that, you, you know, they're giving me sort of the instructions on how to use it. Um, they're, they, they tell me, and you can even actively disbelieve that this is going to work and it will still work. And I, I did say, yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, cause that's kind of where I was. And, and then I, I, I start thinking them and, and there's no forcing, which was took a little bit of getting used to for me because I was very much used to concentrating my mind. Uh, I, I think these, these short sentences uh, with my eyes closed, um, I'm in between the, in between thinking of the techniques, I'm thinking this is just going to be a bunch of crap, you know? And then all of a sudden I find first, I find my body is more relaxed than it has been in, I couldn't remember when it was that relaxed. Um, and that was interesting. You know, even, even while thought is happening, even while I'm, I'm every now and then when I notice that I'm thinking, I'm then sort of reintroducing these, these techniques. Here's my body relaxed. And then all of a sudden, I, I noticed this. It was as if the stillness, you know, reached up out of the depths. And, and, and that was you know, that was that once that was, that was incredible. And that, that persisted for me throughout much of the weekend. And that was, that was the space I was before, which, which was to me was, oh my God, this is, this is the, what I was, what I've been searching for all these years, um, that, that space. And, and so I thought, you know, my mind didn't understand. My mind was going like, well, how the hell were, you know, you're adding, you're adding some thoughts to the mix and they, they seem to be, you know, I could, I could palpably feel them as it, as it were pulling my mind down into this, into the stillness, you know, attracting them and, you know, even feeling those, those mantric thoughts coming out, emerging out of that still dimension. It's like, Oh, you know, and, and kind of having that interplay and, and that, you know, I, I decided, well, maybe I've, I've, you know, this might be some sort of thing like a workshop high, you know, maybe it was a contact high or, you know, I should give this, I should give this some more time to see, you know, if this is just some sort of honeymoon phase, if it is going to consistently do this in my day-to-day -day life over time. And, you know, it, it did. So that, that was, it was, it was very powerful. So you're still quite young at this point, right? When you're getting into this. Yeah, I was 18. Okay. And has this yeah. been your sort of the bedrock of your spiritual practice ever since? Yeah. Yeah. Great. The, the question I'd like to ask, and I appreciate this is, this is a difficult question for me to answer for anyone to answer, but it's something that's almost archetypal. I find in spiritual journeys is people will say, I got into this thing and I applied myself to it at, you know, 110%. And it was hard. It was arduous. I did it for X number of years. And then I started to question it and thought, well, why am I doing this? You know, there's a bit of a contradiction here. Like I'm trying really, really hard to lose the self, but who, who's then trying? Cause if, I, if I'm trying hard to, you know, these kind of contradictions come up and then 
people will get in touch with a book or a teaching or something will arise internally that makes them think, hang on, have I been looking at this thing, whole thing wrong? And then, oh, I found this much easier way of doing it. Yeah. And then we have to look back and evaluate the period of our life prior to that. And we're left with the question of, so gee, was that all a waste of time? Was that just my silly phase where I was being a bit of a blockhead and I was just, it was just all, all that was about was losing it. It was getting over the idea I needed to have this arduous path to get into this right way, this more relaxed, more free flowing way. Or did that arduous phase in some ways provide a bedrock? Okay. Now, I just wonder what your reflections are on that from your, the, the, the previous stages prior to Ascension. Yeah. Do you feel that you could have gone straight into Ascension as a 16, 17-year-old when you first walked into the metaphysical bookshop? Or do you feel that the, that period played a, a role? Yeah, certainly this thought has crossed the mind before. And um, I think things needed to happen just the way they did. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, from, from my perspective now, you know, the, the whole, all the events of, of my life, you know, on, on a timeline, they're, they're, they're kind of felt from kind of a, you know, you can feel the timeless dimension just pushing up through each, each and every single one of them. So there's a sense of, from that, from that perspective, there's a sense of, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that is just sort of the, the flower, you know, or the mushroom that the, that the eternal timeless mycelium wanted to push out at the time. You know, you know, you need to chase girls here. You know, you need to, you need to jump out of a golf cart here. You need to, sure. you know, you need to, it's it, it, from that sort of sense, it, it, you know, it, it makes a lot of, it makes sense to me the most from that perspective. Well, um, from, let from me the ask rational you a um, Then do you see all the people coming directly into this, what feels like a very soft, gentle form of meditation, this ascension meditation and experiencing the kind of deep effects that you're describing in yourself? Yeah, it depends on the person. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm certainly never a one size fits all sort of person. It's very much different strokes for different folks. And even at different times in somebody's life, they're going to, they're going to be able to connect with perhaps one thing better than another. And so some people certainly have been, are, are very much, yeah, this is it. You know, they, they, they've arrived and this is, you can, you can, you know, very much tell, yeah, this is, this is very dharmic for them. They, they're, they're going to be doing this for a mm. while or for as long as it's useful to them. Other people maybe are learning out of, out of a curiosity and it's going to be uh, one, one experience, hopefully on their way to something, something better and more fitting or, or something like that. So it's, it's definitely a mixed bag from, from my experience. Yeah. Okay. So I sort, of, sort of cut you short in your biography, but you're still young when you get into the Ascension practice. So I guess you've had... Um, I don't know how old you are exactly, but it's got to be, if not half a lifetime now of doing. Ascension. It's almost. It's almost. almost yeah. So yeah almost. What's that? What's that been like living um, under the influence of this practice, which you really connect with and takes you into this deep space? How did life play out after getting into it under under the influence of it? Well, well, the first half was well. There's kind of magic all the way around, and it, it sort of split. Very quickly, very shortly after learning, it must have been three months, I found myself moving from Wisconsin to the West Pacific Northwest of the United States. And where I was in Seattle, I was, I was basically geographically uh, 
in the middle of, of two different sort of uh, teaching centers slash monastery deve devoted to this practice and uh, doing longer courses and retreats and that sort of thing. And I had a sense that I wanted to go to one of these and I, 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 I felt a connection to a center in Oregon. So I ended up giving them a call. I was actually called them a few months before, uh, you know, very persistent trying to see if they had any, any spaces available for people like me. Uh, to work on an arrangement where I could, where I could live there and, and be in an immersive environment and, and meditate with people who've been doing it for a while and so on and so forth. And so I was invited to come down to it for an interview to the center in Oregon. And it was, you know, in, in some ways very intimidating because there, here was a big group of people, many of which I could tell were just seeing right through me and, and were, you know, were feeling me from the inside, you know, without trying to, not in an invasive way, just their presence. Mm. And, and so, and, and, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a rough beginning for me, but uh, in, in terms of my own insecurities and, and neuroses that were just all really very, you know, uh, there was so much light being shown that a lot of my shadows were just so damned apparent that I was, uh, oh God, I feel like, I felt like a bit of a walking shadow. And I just said, okay, okay, you know, this is how it is. Uh, no need to be too embarrassed. And and so I, I had a long period of time, six and a half years, in which I, I lived in sort of the, uh, in this community, whether it be in Oregon, in a, in a larger center with other people, or whether it was uh, in little satellite centers in, in Helsinki or, or Hong Kong or, or Michigan. And, and I, I went through a course, a very long course, which is very important for me, uh, uh, in which I spent five, five months doing the practice basically all day, which, which is uh, uh, a teacher training course. Uh, to be a teacher, you have to go and do this course. And, and then afterwards, you go and teach the practice if, that's what's, if that is what you're inclined to do. So that, that was uh, a very profound experience for me. I was able to pay for the course uh, with uh, a long work exchange program, which was, which was very, very cool for me as well, because that was another thing that, that there were precognitive experience of uh, okay. before getting to that. And, and um, uh, you cut me off or redirect me whenever you need to. Uh, because well, I, Thomas, I just feel a bit, it's maybe a bit remiss of me. I've not asked you the origins of Ascension. Is this a meditation ah, that's going, going back a hundred years or more, or is it a relatively modern form? Yeah. The, the origins are, are it's, for some people, a, a kind of a problematic sort of thing. Um, because they, it could just be as young as, you know, 1989 or 1990 or 1991, for all I know. Um, I never met the founder um, uh, of it. He passed away in 1997. I learned in 2002. So I, I did most of my uh, learning, as it were, uh, with his students, his crop of students and their students. Um, his claim in, in his books was that this is, this is something really old, uh, you know, from the Himalayas and, and Jesus, whom we're going to use uh, the name Isha, and, and Isha is, in, is involved in this too in, in his lost years in India. And, and while he was always pretty quick to say, you really don't have to believe this at all, you know, it doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter where it came from for, for you, uh, all, it, all that matters is, you know, you're, you're basically going to try it out as something of a experimentalist and see if it changes your life or not and, and have that be it. But at the same time, he, he put it out there. And so that that's his origin story for Ascension was that it's this ancient practice from right. the Himalayas, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And how do you relate to those kind of stories? 
yourself, because we've probably all been involved at some point in a form of spirituality that we've bought yeah. into and then became suspicious of the origin story and then thought, oh, how do I reconcile all the goodness I found in this with that I just I have no idea what that is. So for me, like for instance, I was involved in Reiki. Mm, yeah. And then I came to believe that Reiki is more of a Californian healing art than a Japanese. <laughs> so, oh no, 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 no. I have to, oh, it's, yeah, I have to travel up north, the gravesite somewhere, not that too far from me. Uh, well, actually, I, I never had too much of a problem from it because I, I, never, I didn't go into it with having any sort of origin story be at all important for my experience. Mm, sure. So it, it was a little bit problematic because when I, when I see a picture of Jesus, I'm going like, oh my God, the weekend was going so well and now this, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't born yesterday. So, so I, <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was raised to be a critical thinker and I was like, oh my God, here we go. So and I kind of persisted this in spite of, um, for me, what might be sort of problematic backstories. Um, it wasn't a, you know, a big negative push for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty open guy mm. to everything, but I, I, I'm, I, I think my whole life, I've always, um, I like maps, but I like the terrain even better. So I'm, I'm always interested in, in tasting as deeply of the terrain for myself as, as best I can and then making decisions from there. And that's, that's what I did with this. I, I tried to approach it as, as best as I could as some sort of subjective spiritual scientist doing an experiment with these techniques and seeing, seeing if anything, spe any spectacular changes or any sort of profound changes that I, that I couldn't see coming from anything else happened and or if if i tuned into if i was really resonating with it from my heart you know if it was really there for me and those were kind of my criteria going in to to learn and in really a fairly innocent sort of sort of manner just trying it out and seeing what's going to happen and and so you know i it, it used to be kind of embarrassing for me to have to tell people because i because i basically i wanted people to like intelligent people especially um I wanted I wanted it to be accessible by intelligent people and not turn people off because that's there's a there's a you know rather wild and tall tale of a backstory but yeah yeah okay so during this period that you're doing it very intensely then I suppose it's a kind of classic thing on a spiritual journey that people go through a phase of a kind of clearance of everything that's built up in the psyche yeah. and a resulting transformation in character Yes. That yeah, that, that, good Lord. Good Lord. Yes. <laughs> that, that, there were some interesting times, uh, especially when I was working uh, in our little, in our monk run cafe to pay for my training. It was a, it was a, sometimes a crucible for me. Uh, it was pleasant, but man, did my shit come up. Uh, I hope I can say that on your program. You can, yeah. uh, uh, as a, as a child, uh, opposite from maybe what most boys are programmed for, I was allowed to feel sad, but I was, I, I basically learned that I needed to repress my anger. You know, right. I really sort of learned that I'm bigger than other people and I'm, I'm more intelligent and it's my responsibility to be the one who doesn't get angry and keeps a cool head, you know, and, and make, and tries to, you know, bring other people into, you know, reason or something like that. So I had a lot, I had a lot of anger that I didn't even, I had no idea really about. And, you know, there was one month where, where I, I, it was just rage, just, just rage, just coming up, you know, some lid had been taken off and just all the time. And then it, and then it passed and, you know, there were jealousy 
jealousy was another uh, emotion that my whole life I had tried to avoid like the plague. You know, I, I, I would, I would very predictably get into situations that would bring it up. I would even be aware that this was going to happen, but there was nothing I could do to stop the feeling from, you know, taking mm. charge of my nervous system. And so when, you know, that this time of practice with Ascension definitely brought jealousy up as an emotion as well. And, 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 you know, all the, all the cupboards that had been closed off and locked away, you know, one by one or two by two or, many at the same time were just being opened and, you know, having stuff sort of sweat off more or less. And, and, but, but permanently mainly, I mean, it was, wasn't, that wasn't ever really the focus. The, the focus was just to do the, the practice, the meditation practice. And, and once you start to sort of enjoy, you know, recognize the, the silence that it takes you to, to, to rest into that and, you know, these other things coming off were, were more or less kind of a, a wonderful byproduct. So uh, definitely you, a period of sweating. Were you in the community when this was happening? Was there a kind this of was, a supportive community element to that? Yes. Oh, alone? yes. I, I was very lucky. I, I was very fortunate because uh, I was in a community that allowed allowed me to be able to express, you know, whatever I needed to and without me, with with and without people really taking it on personally, it was quite amazing actually how impersonal, you know, I would say something directly to somebody, you know, and they would, it would just flow off of their, off of them like they're made out of Teflon. And that was, that was beautiful to, to be able to, and then in turn to be that person for somebody else, you know, to have somebody just vomit on me, but not take it personally. And then, you know, just feel the, the weightlessness that, that comes after, it's cleared away and the, and there, the, the silence that builds up after there's more space for it. That it was a, it was a, it was an incredible blessing uh, to have all those people be there for me in that way. Yeah. And at some point you've ended up in Japan doing this. <laughs> you, you've at some point left the community, obviously. I did. I did. Yeah. I what did. direction did life take then? And how did, how did Japan come on the horizon? Oh, Japan, Japan is very recent. That's a okay. very recent development. Right. I've been most, most of the time, uh, in the United States and the Pacific Northwest or, or up in Canada for a year in Vancouver. Uh, but otherwise, I, I, I remained in Oregon for, for most of the time. I, I left the community in 2008 uh, for a variety of reasons. I wanted to spend some more time with my family. I wanted to, I kept getting this itch to go to university uh, coming up. And, and I, I had some, you know, I had some issues with, with how, things were being run or a little bit of too much groupthink for my taste mm. uh, was starting to happen, for instance. And years before I had sort of made a deal with myself, I had basically told myself that if I ever find myself as something of a malcontent, if I ever am consistently getting caught in things that I can't just immediately let go and, you know, let off, then that would be a time when I might consider, you know, making, making a change. I, I had really sort of uh, wanted to sort of remain, remain in my organization for, you know, for the rest of life. But, um, oh, uh, I don't think I can hear you, actually. No, it's okay. I just muted because I knew I was going to sneeze. 
Oh, that's so considerate of you. I, I saw the sneeze and I thought, wow, this man, this Somebody's man's incredible. Home, you know? yeah, this man's incredible. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, it was, it was time for me to go. I, I think in some ways, um, you know, I, I, I found myself a year before I left, I, I started having, having, having those thoughts come up from the silence, which were basically like, you should really get yourself fired. You should get yourself kicked out. And I knew it wasn't the voice of the ego. This was, this was, to, to me, this was, this was definitely the voice right. of consciousness. Right. Pushing did me along. did it like, happen that way? Were you like fired and kicked out? Or was it more smooth than that? No, I kind of had to kick myself out in this sort of sense. It was a little bit rough, but, um, but I, you know, I, 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 I kind of pushed myself out the door uh, more or less. It was, it was time to do that. It, it probably would have been better if I went about a year sooner. I stayed. Okay. When, when I started to get that impulse, it was just, that's so inconvenient. Why are you telling me that right now? No, you know, I, I want to stay. Why, well, why are you sure. But it's also quite yeah. an archetypal thing that people who go into spiritual communities enter into this loving, all embracing, <coughs> everything's wonderful. There's a sense that nothing could ever go wrong and I'll be here forever. And then it all ends in chaos. Well, I'm not saying that was your experience, but yeah, it's yeah. very typical of, of spiritual communities because so much stuff gets brought up by them, mm-hmm. the group then, and everyone's reflecting each other's shadows and there's all sorts of questions of group dynamics and how we live together and almost an assumption yeah. that this will all work out because we're spiritual people. And that they, <laughs> they, I know a lot of people I speak to, indeed my own experience to some extent, is that spiritual groups are, are very, very difficult. Yeah, I think I think I I I probably needed to get out of the institution. I needed to be uh, out in the world. Uh, one one thing that I noticed when I was teaching was was that you know here I was in my own private sort of Shangri La, um, you know, uh, enjoying you know the presence of in, individuals who I would call enlightened, you know, at, at various stages, and and yet I I started to notice that at first even very subtly there was a sense of this insularity forming of, 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 of a monkish world and, and an everybody else world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that at all. I didn't, if I felt that that was sort of affecting anything that I was speaking or was, was playing there, I would feel like I need to go and take a, a shower with a shower with steel wool or something because I, I didn't like that. And yet it was growing. And, and I think actually feeling that sense uh, I didn't know it at the time, but that was definitely contributing to this movement to sort of push myself out into the world and and get out there and not and, and put myself into a position where holding such a distinction would be would be much more difficult. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so the, I didn't consciously see that that was happening at the time, but just you know, even a couple of years later, it was it was it was pretty obvious that. Okay. Did, did you end up going to university, as you mentioned? You I did. I did. Yeah. I, I went, I, I moved from the Oregon coast to Portland, not very far, uh, where my sister was and wanted to spend time with her uh, before she went off maybe to South Korea or some, some other place and, and, you know, started in university. And, and I, I, I actually thought that I would, I would start at the university in Portland kind of, uh, give myself a couple terms of sort of practice to because I figured oh I must be so out of you know institutionalized educational shape at this point I'd better give myself uh, training wheels and and then I just ended up being there for the rest of my time in university and, and stayed in Portland then oh, what were you and studying nothing fun no uh, I I was I ended up studying philosophy and economics and, and Chinese language right 
yeah, as, as my language option. So, uh, but I, I studied a great deal of things and, and, and actually, you know, leaving was, was hard for me. Leaving was, leaving the organization was very hard. It was a very, it was a difficult landing to make to sure, go from best, this yeah. environment to, you know, I, I would watch people and I would be like, like, why the fuck are you follow in my mind? It's like, you know, why are you following those thoughts? You know, don't, don't follow your thoughts. You know, you, you should be meditating right now or, you know, like, you know, I was just a gap. I was a little bit of guest. I mean, I wasn't naive, but, but the experience uh, the, the, of, of being in, a, in such a different environment was a bit of a shock to sure, my system. Yeah. Yeah, totally. uh, at, the, at, yeah, at the same point, I felt, oh, I, I must have just left because uh, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't cut out to be a monk. It must be my ego that's forced me out. I mean, I think people thought as much when I left yeah. uh, from within the organization. And so I felt, you know, I'm second class here. I'm not, not good enough to, you know, it, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard time. And I also, I, I did, a, I also at that time was a little bit doubting of, of my experience, which, which at that time it was fairly consistent, but it wasn't stable yet. Mm. Uh, the, the experience of silence, I felt maybe I'm just, maybe we've just made this all up. You know, maybe I've been deceiving myself into, into thinking that this is something different when maybe it's just, this, you know, everybody is just doing the same thing. You know, and it's there's there's no difference. There's nothing significant, and so the the experimentalist in me kind of wanted to know, you know, for sure as as best as I could. So I, I sort of decided to drop meditation. Okay. I I, dro- I dropped meditation. I I I dropped so many parts of of my discipline. I just wanted this, and and I wanted to sort of adopt, you know, to my taste. You know, I'm, never, I'm not a big party or a drinker or anything like that. I wanted to adopt a normal, you know, uh, you know, early 20 year old person's mm-hmm. life, whatever the hell that meant. And, and I, and I got my answer after a few years. So that was, that was good. I, yeah. So it went, you, you kind of stepped out of the meditative thing for a whole few years. I did. It was hard. It was really rough. It was, it was much harder to try to try to push back against something once you've, once you've got it than, than to, than before when I didn't have it. You know, it was, it was suffering. It was very painful. Um, it was, it was like uh, consciously attempting to wear uh, a, a shoe, you know, several sizes too small. Mm. And, and, and so in doing that and, and going against the grain to that degree, I, I, I really, I, I really kind of realized that what I was doing was in fact, you know, real and actual. Yeah. And, yeah I think it's a valuable exercise for people who are, on a kind of spiritual path to, to do at some point, I'm, you know, not necessarily to the extent of going partying for a few, that, that's a big I, 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 Yeah. I didn't party. I'm not much of a party animal. But, but um, if particularly if there's like a gradual drip by drip change in a person that occurs over years, you, it is possible to not necessarily notice or to think, well, am I that different? To how I was when I was 17 for this whole thing. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just growing older, right? Maybe I'd have gotten yeah. to older. And I, I remember consciously one thing I did was I heard it as a recommendation from the, the guru Poonja. Um, I think I'm saying his name sort of right. Yeah. To have, to attempt to lose the sense of the, the eye as in the deep transcendent eye and become, allow yourself to become completely identified with thought. Okay as a way of experiencing what that eye is. And I did this as an exercise and it's like, Oh, hello, I'm 17 again. This is what it was like. <laughs> this is complete whirling force. This is really chaotic and hellish and awful. And it's like, yeah, that's what this has done for me. This process of spiritualization. It's, 
it's given me this deeper transcendent sense of self and it's only when i consciously tried to lose it that i became aware of what i what i gained in that mm. Mm. yep that's that you described you described my experiment uh, very eloquently that was that was that was exactly what what came of all that it was just oh my god I, it was true there was there was deep profound transformation this the stillness which i've been pushing away for you know two or three years that's you know all I have to do is just relax back into that. And, and, and there we are. That, that was real. That was an actual thing. Yeah. I was doing philosophy and economics, a part of that, because that's going from a very spiritual environment to something that's very heady and, in, and intellectual. Like I, I quite oh. enjoy reading and listening to economics podcasts, but it's, you know, it, it's really <laughs> the capacity for um, reasoning and uh, rationalizing from first principle and this kind of thing. Very different in, in some respects to meditative process. So was that was that a part of it, of experiencing a different aspect of yourself? Then? Yeah, I, w I would say so. I, I think you know, I was I was a bull. I was looking after the color red, and the philosophy department seemed to seemed to bear it in spades as, as far as <laughs> the kind of experience that seemed very different than what I was mm. cultivating before. And so, you know, it's this, you know, Western style analytic philosophy. That's what's in most departments, not a lot of continental. And, and that was, you know, whew, it, it was, it was lovely for me to, I, I, I've always enjoyed those subjects. I think there's no real gulf between intellectual cultivation and, and samadhi. Sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, if, if you're only doing intellectual cultivation or only doing anything else, then there'll be, that's your gulf. But, um, but certainly it, it, it is, the environment was nine, 180 degrees in, in some ways than, than uh, a monastic environment as far as, you know, people are just working out of that frontal lobe and, and, mm. and working, playing with the concepts and, and not having no awareness that there's an ability to relax back into something more fundamental or, uh, you know, consciousness as a thing itself. So, yeah, and, and as, especially the, you know, uh, most of the departments I was swimming in, the, the general undercurrent, philosophically, whatever department was, was, was certainly a reductionist ma materialism. Mm, yeah. I mean, that, that's, and that for, for people, that just goes without saying that's your entry card into respectability is to be a <laughs> reductionist materialist. And the scope of debate is so small that to even to, to get excited about somebody like uh, Leibniz or, or Barclay is, is something that marks you as odd or, or <laughs> much less to start to start talking, you know, you know, talking about mystics or your experiences at the monastery. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's so far out of, out of the court. You just, I, I had nobody to talk to about that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really uh, disappointing, but an entirely accurate description of, <laughs> you know, academia. Um, yeah. So you, you got back into the, the more spiritual process at some point after these, yeah. these years of wandering out in the world. Yeah. and and have been teaching yeah yeah that's right yeah it happened my last year in school i was actually starting i was sort of waking up with um what what probably were panic attacks uh in the middle of that my body was was so stressed and i just i just realized uh one night you know as, as i was unable to breathe uh that i can either that now's the time i can either you know step back into you know my my purpose my dharma my my life path into silence or I could die. And, and, and if I died, I, I've had a good life. I've accomplished a lot of what 
the, the significant movements that I'd wanted to accomplish, that'd be okay to just, you know, just go to sleep one night and just leave your body. That, that was kind of a voice that came out from the heart. And I decided I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to step back into the Dharma and keep, keep living this life. And so I made a choice and, uh, you know, things started to develop. I felt like a bit like some sort of middle-aged knight trying to put their old armor back on. They're a little bit too fat for it. And, you know, there's a little bit of a, oh, I've lost a step here, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, doing the practice again. And, and, you know, I, not too long after that, I, I, I met my wife who was, who was definitely part of this re-emerging, you know, reawakening, stepping back into my path, uh, you know, process, you know, very quickly. Um, and, and then I, you know, graduated, got out of university, uh, didn't exactly have an intention to start teaching again, um, mainly because there, you know, I, I had left the community and often when you leave the community, that means you're not supposed to teach anymore mm -hmm. and, and that sort of thing. And, and so I, I was always actually rather a bit of res respectful rebel, you know, there's uh, a certain amount of, I've always had a certain amount of deference towards tradition, even, even though I also have the tendency to sort of see the flaws uh, in institutions. Um, but after a while, I, it was just obvious that it was time to start teaching again and, and, and working in that facility. And, and I have to say that when I came back to it, when I came back to teaching and, and just living in general, it was so much, so much deeper than when I was 23 or 24 okay. and was a young monastic. There, the, the process of, of going to university and just really putting myself through some, through a little bit of, little bit of pain and suffering, you know, I can't call it really pain and suffering at a certain level getting a degree, but uh, the process of, of moving away from the stillness and, and, and actively trying to avoid it in some ways was when I came back to it, it was just so much deeper. And that, that dichotomy that I was trying to shake, that sense of having monkish people and everybody else over here that that was very well undermined by going off and just making all the mistakes that that I would judge other people for for doing to such an extent that that it was very difficult to 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 think of anybody as as a fuck up uh, you know having been so thoroughly the fuck up myself yeah you know it's just okay you know here we are yeah yeah so how, how does it go now with your, what kind of impact do you see the Ascension Meditation having when you teach people? Like, do you get people oh. who are looking for spiritual enlightenment coming along or people who are looking for more kind of sense of peace and tranquility and stress reduction in their own lives? I, I tend to get, uh, I tend to get people who are very much looking for spiritual enlightenment. Uh, I think different people that attract or connect mm, with different yeah. different sorts of people. I, I often run into a lot of people who who have been meditating maybe 40, 45 years mm. and, and have been in some capacity teaching meditation or, or some other spiritual modality uh, themselves. Uh, I've gotten people who I would say are, are realized in a sense that they, they have this samadhi going all the time and they haven't moved from it, but there's, for, for whatever reason we, we connect and they, you know, feel like, you know, I'll, even though I'm, I'm here, I want to do this thing. And so I get to watch people with, with that sort of nervous system kind of blossom and, in, in, in interesting in ways that they weren't quite expecting, which is always beautiful 
to to watch and and then then I get a lot of uh, people who are very innocent uh, a lot of innocent people who aren't looking for stress release or enlightenment or anything would just kind of have it in their heart like oh I want to do this thing you know mm -hmm. for for maybe no particular reason but I just feel drawn to it and, and so those are the sort of people I, I very regularly uh, run into for classes So where could people, like I'll direct people to your website, but where could people find out a bit about this? Because I've tried to go into understanding it uh, to a degree in the interview, and I'm still left feeling like, oh, I no. do, I, um, do I get this? So the, the, I suppose not having like strong experiences of mantra meditation myself, um, there's, there's, it's a curious mystery in what you've presented to me, in that you're describing these shifts and transformations in consciousness. And I'm thinking, gee, how does that technique Thomas is describing lead to that, that shift? So where yeah. can people find out a bit more well, about this? Let me answer that in two parts. Um, yeah. one, one, I might just give an example. I'll just use the mantra OM. Everybody's familiar with OM. Maybe people use it in a very sort of chanting sort of way. But if we were to use it in, the, in sort of the Bija mantra style, we, we, we would just think OM very simply, as simply as we were thinking the word Coca-Cola, you know, no, nothing, nothing attached to it, very mechanical in that sort of sense. Mm -hmm. only, only in this mantra practice for those who really enjoy it, for those perhaps um, who are disposed for it spiritually, who, th that sort of practice. The thinking of the Om has a tendency of either very quickly or sometimes, you know, it's felt gradually of moving them from a, a very choppy uh, surface of the mind where, where things are really moving and coming and going to more and more and more dropping down to this sort of quieter, calmer, more profound space. You know, they still may have the surface going on up here, but now there's, there's a real sort of separation between the movements, the objects of consciousness and, and consciousness itself. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the goal of ascension or of all of these mantra meditations. And, you know, for people who, for whom it's successful, it's that's that's kind of the the general the general experiences you know sometimes uh the meditation might be very thoughty and there's no attempt to try to sort of control that or stop that process sometimes it's it's a seemingly very busy mind and there's nothing wrong with that uh we just sort of use the the mantra uh very gently you know without any without any attempt to sort of displace anything or create a different condition just throw it in like you're throwing a pebble in a swiftly moving river and those are perfectly wonderful meditations because people often find when they when their their eyes are open that oh my god there is still the stillness even though my mind is is is, is moving quite quickly and, and sometimes the the meditation experience is very silent and profound and there's it's very obvious that there's that there's no movement of consciousness and 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 we find ourselves in samadhi and everyone's you know, who reads certain books is going for that one. And, and they're both equally valid. You know, I would say equally valid uh, to, the, to the practice. Uh, to get more specific information about, say, ascension, typing in the, the search words, Ishaya's ascension, will, will pull up quite a few websites. And, and uh, uh, because there are, there are now uh, many sort of individual teachers like myself and, and organizations that are, uh, collectives of teachers teaching it with their own websites. Some websites more helpful than others. Um, there are some juicy, there are a couple juicy, dirty laundry websites, which I've always enjoyed. 
uh, I'll direct people to your website because I think it's like there's very good descriptions on there. That that last um, explanation with the ohm that's sort of made the penny drop for me. So okay. I, I feel like I, I know where you're you're coming from now. And what's, yeah, yeah. Like I'm in the ballpark anyway for. I, I for what's good, going on good. So maybe we'll start to, to bring things to a close for this one. Is there anything else you'd like to, um, I mean, okay. I, I, I'm trying to think of it. You're doing a, you're a wonderful interviewer, I think. That's <laughs> uh, good, but let's see. No, I, I can't, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Great. It's, I mean, that's been a fantastic chat. I'd love to have you um, back on at some point. But for one, on the one hand, I think there's, there's more we could go into around the whole non-dual themes and consciousness and all that. And I'm aware that you have another life altogether as an astrologer. Some just <laughs> way some, to take on in this interview. <laughs> for some people, yes, for some people that would go into my personal dirty laundry section. <laughs> no, no, well, everything, all, all sorts of arcane practices are respectable <laughs> on this podcast. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, nothing I, too I, far. I, astrology sitting I, here. I have a big range of friends from reductionist materials mm. to people who who consort with angels to, 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 to maybe hyper non-dualists or I'm not quite sure they're having a non-dual experience necessarily, but uh, they're, they're, they're very uh, rigid in, in their philosophical outlook and to, to the point that something like astrology would be very, would yeah. be as equally displeasing well, to them as it would be. The non-dualists yeah. are worse than the reductionist materialists, or they're as bad <laughs> as I find uh, for this kind of thing. And that, I think there's an awareness in non-dualists that they're, already into something a bit weird like they've already got the disapproval of the reductionist materialists so one hopes one hopes throw anyone under the bus who's doing anything <laughs> that might be a bit far out like astrologers are the first ones to go under That's typically yeah 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 i've always no. been attracted i've always been attracted to things that would get me thrown under the bus yes it, so that that's that's definitely been a feature of life that you just can't stay away from that cookie jar that that'll 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 get you a little bit exiled yeah. I've always been attracted to the people who attract the scorn of respectable society. Astrology. Well, then we're, we're, we're made to be really good yeah. friends in that case. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I think we've, we've mentioned that we won't <laughs> go into this, but we both have a liking of the philosopher Paul Feyerabend, who is always <laughs> on hand to defend the disreputable elements in society. And that's, you know, I'm always intrigued by, well, okay, yeah, I can understand on the surface. Of it. it does seem like a funny idea that objects billions of light years away would be affecting life on Earth. <laughs> what, what's really going on there? Let's look a bit deeper at this and, and why are people into this? And so, yeah, all sorts of yeah. things like that. Love to explore. So we'll, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, but um, okay. for now, we'll, we'll draw this one to a close. So thank you very much for, you. for being on today. I'll link to all your details below and the course. You, you do work online, don't you? For I just, yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for astrology mainly, I do the work online. For ascension, I, I do the work in person, but I also teach mantric meditation online. Okay, so all those details will be below on whatever platform yeah. we're looking on. Thomas, thank you very much for today. We'll thank you. speak again sometime. All right, thank you, Richard. <laughs>